0: Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to hear real life stories about how God works all things together for good, because he is always faithful and always good. Welcome to today's All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to another new Redemption Press author, who I met almost a decade ago and have been waiting anxiously for her to complete this amazing book, Holly Lou Justice Kuhn and her new book, Salty. You are not gonna wanna miss this conversation. Let me go ahead and give her an introduction. Holly Lou is an author, speaker, teacher, speech pathologist, wife, mother, reforming control freak and coffee junkie she has a master of science and has worked in the medical field for three decades with a minor in biblical studies she has written and taught women's bible studies for 20 years holly lou lives in the pacific northwest with her husband michael who is her rock they have two grown-ish children Lee and teddy who live in different zip codes but are still on the netflix account Holly Lou is solidly behind her crew, mostly because she loves them, but also for coffee and tech support. I love her dry sense of humor. So you are just going to love this conversation. So let's go ahead and roll it. Well Holly Lou, it is such a delight to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking some time to spend with me and welcome to the All Things Podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, before we jump in and hear more about your new book, I would love for our listeners to just hear a little behind the scenes about your life and how God has worked things together for good, even when you couldn't imagine that he would do that.
1: Um, I think my Romans 28 story is... Um, I, one morning I woke up and I found out that a friend of mine, um, was instantly had three of her daughters, um, pass away in a car accident and, um, she didn't, she survived. And, um, I think there were a lot of loose threads, but that was the incident that kind of unraveled, um, me. And so I started really questioning what... I thought about God and my faith and I had been um, raised in a very conservative Christian family and had never gone through um, think, questioning God myself. And so that began my journey of just questioning everything. And I was a young mom and I was young in my career and I, um, one thing led to another and i ended up leaving my position leaving stepping down from all my positions at church and then um in the middle of the night that's when i heard god say you know c- bring those questions just come to me with your um hard, hard questions. And we went all the way back down to the foundation and started from there. And I'm happy to report that um, God is more than enough. And sometimes you just need to be alone in the room with God when there's nothing else that can support you. And then it is those moments in our life where we realize he is more than enough. And I just had all of this static in my life that I had built my life on. Um, And when that was removed, I found that God was more than enough and more, more than able. And so that was the beginning. And then here we
0: are now. Wow. Well, and to, you know, when you hear those kinds of horrific losses, stories Mm -hmm. of, of that kind of loss, it really does make you wonder and make you question. And that can be a very healthy thing if we allow space for it. Yeah, It's too often we're like, I'll just take an extra shift or I'll just uh, start another course or do something to stay busy to, you know, kind of numb the pain instead of actually experiencing it. Yes. and I, I love that you did that. You made space for it and it changed your life.
1: Yes, it totally changed my life. It was the best, worst, best Mm. um, moment of my life.
0: Wow. Well, I love that. That is a Romans 828, if I've ever heard one. So thank you for sharing that. Now, your new book, Salty, Mm -hmm. I love, I just, okay. Before I even go off on how much I love that, I'm going to ask you a question. You say that you shifted your thinking initially not able to see active grace until learning to unsee passive grace. Tell us about, like, explain the difference in active and passive grace. The
1: difference between active and passive grace involves a paradigm shift and, um, It's very hard to understand active grace when you're living inside a worldview that's built on passive grace. And the way um, Christianity was presented to me and the way I heard it um, was that the number one thing I had to do was pray a prayer. That I had to accept that God wanted to save me and that if I accepted and prayed this prayer that um, I was in the full. And um, so basically the only thing that was required of me is the same amount of energy it takes to roll out of bed. And although all of the words that were presented to me um, are true and are good, I heard them through a passive grace paradigm. So once I had prayed the prayer and accepted Jesus as my only way to heaven, There was nothing required of me. Everything felt optional because grace would cover it, whatever it was. So it was very easy for me to adapt a lifestyle of staying autonomous to myself, Um, seeing myself as God to myself. Although if you would talk to me, then I would have completely debated with you because I was inside um, a paradigm of passive grace. And it wasn't until I understood that autonomy has never been offered. We are either a slave to our culture and a slave to the world, even though we're, we're predominantly blind to it, or we enslave ourselves to Christ, but we will always be enslaved somewhere. And um, that's a really hard concept for a Midwest born and raised girl. And so when I started understanding that what was initially offered to me was, do you there in the pew as a little girl, do you understand that you are giving your life to God? That you are saying, I am now your bond servant. I now my whole life, my whole passion is to follow you and to be made in your image, um, to conform more and more into your image. And so um I think I shifted from passive grace, which was accepting God on the terms that he was saving me from hell, which I deeply appreciated to an active grace paradigm. I choose God because he is God. I choose God because he is the only way. Um, And I trust that he is who he says he is. So I put my allegiance with him and that would be active grace. And when you're living inside active grace, then every day becomes this amazing um, adventure and a relationship with a real person, a real God that um, interacts with us. And once it needs to, demands to be involved in all the minutiae of our life, it's not that we turn to him when we need him, it's that he's omnipresent.
0: Amen. Okay, so I have a question on passive grace, would that be the same as, or similar to cheap grace that you, you know, Bonhoeffer wrote about? Yes, I would say passive
1: grace is a term used by Dallas Willard. And, um, and I think that the writing of Dallas Willard lines up very much with um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, um, but cheap grace is saying, um, I'm accepting the salvation, but I'm not accepting um, the discipleship component. And mm-hmm. so it's it's saying, I, I will walk along and do my very, very best and expect God to bless that. And um, it's a very subtle, subtle difference when you're trying to explain it to people. But again, when you're inside a gestalt or a paradigm, it's very hard to see. difference between the two but just like a little um, cruise ship that's off 10 degrees by the time you get to your destination you're very very off and I think it takes waking up and understanding I was asking could I say that God is good if I woke up without my children and um, the answer was no I couldn't I mean I, I was in a quid pro quo relationship with God even though I would have denied it and It wasn't until I went back and really grappled with that. How is it that I recognize that God is God and I am not God? And um, I clarify those roles that um, now uh, living a life based on active grace, there's so much more security and so much more freedom because I'm not fighting to protect what was never mine to
0: begin with. Mm. That's powerful. Okay. So, your book says that lukewarm faith allows us to profess a certain belief while functionally acting on another belief. You've hit on that a little bit already, but expand a bit on that and give us an example from your own life. So, um,
1: lukewarm faith, um, you prescribe I, I would say we prescribe to um a uh, lifestyle and a uh, you know a doctrine but it doesn't impact um our light, day-to-day thought to thought um mechanisms of uh the way we interact with our world and so it's kind of like ants at a picnic they're impa- they're there but they're not impacting anything and so i think when Uh, you claim a lukewarm faith. And the problem with lukewarm is no one ever thinks that they are lukewarm. And um, a lukewarm faith says that I can pray and I can have these amazing experiences on Sunday morning and then cut each other off on the parking lot trying to get to Costco. So um, I don't have to have Saturday. uh, So I don't have to have Monday through Saturday. Um, controlled by what I'm thinking about and talking about on Sunday. Mm. So an example from my own life would be um, I 100% knew who Jesus was. I had committed my life to um, him in the, to the extent that I understood it, but it didn't impact. I had no problem um, backdating a report if I needed to backdate a report because The rules didn't apply to me. If I could figure out that um, really nobody cares if I back data report and nobody can see me back data report, then why wouldn't I back data report? So I guess what you claim to believe and who you are when nobody is looking can be vastly different when you're practicing a faith that is indeed lukewarm. And I found that there's much more authenticity when you are practicing a faith that requires a minute to minute accounting of who you are and who are you are
0: becoming. Oh, that's yeah. Uh Do what you do when no one's watching because God is watching. That's right. <laughs> and- it's like you can't avoid that
1: yes and i think that um, the way that i grew up i fell into a pattern of behavior modification because i didn't understand active grace and so i was always trying to do the right thing and not do the wrong thing and if you unraveled all the way down to my motivation level well first of all i cared what people thought I very much wanted to please people. And so a lot of my behavior modification was just to please people. But if you got all, if you pushed me hard enough, I would say, because sin is bad and uh, I don't want to be bad. So I don't want to sin. But I wasn't motivated by my love for who God is, the person of God. And so it's exhausting to do spiritual things without supernatural spiritual power. And when you are pursuing a real person, um, the relationship with God comes before the behavior modification. And what I had always experienced is why I was supposed to use behavior modification to make me a person that would be more acceptable to God. And when you switch the two, um, the actual living of life becomes way easier, way more fun, way less guilt, way more freedom. And I think that's all those the verses that say to to actually gain your life, you must lose it. Now they resonate because I understand it. Whereas before I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah." (laughs) I've heard that a million times. I don't really know what it means, but I've heard it. And now I'm like, no, I'm actually living that. So that's the exciting part.
0: Mm. So your book is candid, irreverent, and funny. And I love that about you. You're very authentic. How do you think women will connect with your story? And what do you hope that they'll take away?
1: I think I, I think I wrote the book that I always wanted to read. And I, I wanted to read a Bible study or um a devotional written by somebody who pushed back on every single requirement asked of them. So, um like the Beatitudes are hard and um we we never sit around and allow ourselves the freedom to to talk about when we think what God is asking us to do is unfair. Um, And so I wanted to read a book by someone who questioned um, why we were being asked, like, why should I get up in the morning if my children are gone and say that God is good? How could that be remotely fair? And um, why don't we hold God accountable for those things? And that's what... um, I think I wanted somebody just to have that conversation in a way that made to demystified it. And you weren't a bad person if you had those thoughts. And so and then, of course, um, if you can make me laugh, then um, it's disarming and it makes me um, less defensive. And I think that our hearts always leave a door unlocked. If you can make me laugh, then there's a way for the Holy Spirit to get in because I'm relaxing a little bit. And so the only way I get through my days is to have lots of time to laugh at myself and uh, to find the human journey funny and ironic. And I think that's what I included. I wanted I don't take myself seriously, but I do take my faith very seriously. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping that that's what would
0: come across in the writing. Well, and it sounds to me like you're giving the reader permission to question and to say, God, I don't like this, or to at least admit how they're feeling so that God can be present in that and they can recognize where they need him to change them. I mean we right. we all need him to sanctify us right but we have to do our part too. Yes, and I think it's the
1: real conversations with God that that's where you gain your traction. Yeah. And um the the only time, the transformation is a personal experience. So there's no amount of church attendance and no amount of Bible reading and no amount of, um, religious or, uh, practice that's going to change you. It's a personal interaction with God. And that those personal interactions for me started with me saying, uh, no, I'm done. I, I can't do this. I'm, um, I'm unfriending and unsubscribing. And um, that's when he met me right there. And he said, this is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for you to put down what you thought you knew and to let me teach you from the foundation up again.
0: Hmm. So good. Okay. So as we're wrapping this up, I want you to explain what you mean by your subtitle, The Deconstruction of the Good Christian. And do you describe yourself as a good Christian?
1: Well, I think that I am in a state of recovery from being a good Christian. (laughs) Where I grew up, um, good Christian is synonymous with good person. And Ooh. so, you could say, "Oh, you should buy your car from so and so. He's a good Christian," and basically that meant this person's probably ethical and they're not going to cheat you. And it was just a shorthand for identifying people that were um, good to interact with. And the deconstruction, deconstruction is a really um, kind of a catchword right now, but it's mm-hmm. basically saying. I'm stopping um, doing what I'm doing if I don't understand um, the purpose behind it. And so it's that slow, like, let's slow everything down and actually ask these hard questions. And um, all the verses that have never made sense before, they, you know, they were held accountable. I'm like, what does it mean to say... um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And what does that mean um, when I feel no strength? Does that mean that I have lost the joy of the Lord? And so asking all these really hard questions would be my form of deconstruction. And so I took off a worldview that had been prescribed for me and that I had happily followed which allowed me to remain autonomous to myself I thought and then got all the way down to the level of saying I choose God because God is God I put all of my trust in him because he is our only hope and then allowing that to reinform how I read the Bible and how I interact with people and then how I do the day-to-day thing so, um, yes, I would say that I am still in a state of recovery of being a good Christian because I'm still very much concerned with what people think and I'm always trying to please people. But at the end of the day, he has much more of a foothold in my mind, in my heart than he ever had before.
0: Mm. And that is so, that is just so powerful because, you know, normally in this time in our culture, seeing deconstruction connected to a subtitle could make people think oh she's deconstructing the faith and she's walking away and saying i'm not a christian anymore but no it what you are doing is making you more of a follower of christ yes because of the intimacy and the relationship that's there not just Doing the rules and doing the things that you know are going to make people like you and be happy with you.
1: Yes. I love everything about the title because the word salty is a, mm. is a little bit um, irreverent and... Um, very cultural for someone who's potentially a thorn in the community. And then uh, the word deconstruction is basically, we need to slow down and ask ourselves why we do what we do. And I think, um, I think Dallas Willard or Hannah Whitehall Smith said, um, if salvation is our reason for going to church, what is our reason for staying? And um, once you have it, then, why why keep doing all the good things and i think that was the thing that i couldn't reconcile i'm like exactly it's very hard to understand it's very easy to explain how to become a christian but not easy to explain how to live like one and um so everything about the book i i i would never want to Um, ruffle any feathers that didn't need to be ruffled, but I definitely think those of us who have um, followed Jesus since we were this big um, are allowed room to go and really think about why we believe what we believe. And I believe that we'd be better for it if more of us took the time to do that.
0: Absolutely. I am that 100% because if we don't have that personal experience with him where he's shown us who he is, he's made himself real to us. He's Mm. made us recognize he's God. We're not. And that we do what we do because we love him, not because we want to get from him or we want to get people to say, aren't we, you know, that we're such a good Christian. Yes, exactly. That's it. it totally. Yeah. Mm. I love it. So okay, if we have people listening today and they want to find you online or connect with you somehow, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh I have a website, hollyluespeaks.com is um and it's just H O L L Y L U um speaks.com and that's the easiest way to get a hold of me and then um then the book is available um through Redemption Press and also on
0: Amazon. And everywhere books are sold, right? Everywhere books are sold. That's all so right. exciting to say that Yay! out loud. Well, this is just such a delight because I met you nine years ago. And to think a long, God, long God had to do all sorts of things to get us to this place. But it's just yes. so neat. So yes. Neat. Well, God bless your ministry. Thank you so much for being willing to ask the hard questions. That is so many people in churches today just swallow what's given to them and go along with the flow and, and don't, you know, don't ask hard questions and then that's why we're so shallow, you know? That's right. Yes. So I think, I think we all can
1: grow and um, become uh, closer to our sweet Jesus. If we just allow ourselves to, you um, considered that our comfort wasn't his first concern (laughs) you think
0: (laughs) definitely more interested in our holiness than in our comfortability right oh my gosh well thank you so much for taking the time god bless your ministry my friend well thank you so much Well, thanks so much for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Romans 828 Bookstore and Redemption Press. If today's episode encouraged you, we would love to have you share it with your friends on social media and maybe even leave a review on Apple. That will help the algorithms get us up higher to the top when people are searching for podcasts that can bring them hope and encouragement. So thanks again for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.